This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Okay, ready? What you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a wheel. I want to know something, she's a thing about everyone you need. I'm holding it, things are real now. I have a senior woman, you. Hey, it's a ratio. Okay, though. The Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. That's my responsibility, is to not have Alfrey showing. So what you're doing is you're just getting yourself to a place of, and it's not hocus pocus, it's not in your head, it's, it is an actual doing Acting is listening the way we do in life. You listen and then you respond to what you just heard. Well, you've got your, you've got the, the words that the, the writer has you say, but that's just plot. But life never happens on the words and on the lines. It happens in our response to it. So that's when I love when a, a filmmaker understands that and will keep a camera on a person who is not speaking because the real life is happening in between the lines. And so all you're doing is making yourself available, not only to the character, but to what's being said. And I think as as storytellers, as musicians, as painters, I think we are the ones that surrender to the creative principle. Alfre Woodard is one of the great actors of all time. I have loved her. From 12 Years a Slave to Desperate Housewives to so many things, she is now starring, well, it's actually a small role, but whenever she's on screen, she leaps off of it. It's The Porter on BET, set in 1921, about porters. She plays, we would now say a prostitute, back then they would say whore. It's an extraordinary role. She's an extraordinary person and actor, and it's such an honor to talk to her about acting. It's the great Alfre Woodard on Touré Show. You bring such great intensity to your moments. And when those Alfre Woodard eyes get to going and we feel the energy bubbling up in the character 
and the upper lip is communicating to us. And I'm like, oh, we like this is this is an Alfred Woodard moment. Like here we are. Like this is what we live for as an audience. I mean, can you just talk about how you summon up the intensity that we know you for? Look at you. You are so amazing. <laughs> I have to tell you that too. I am a fan of you, my brother. And, oh, um, stop. stop. And I and I'm uh, mature enough to be proud of you. I'll say that as Aww, well. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, 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 it means a lot. Because I, I, when I see people who are, you know, a little older than me and they say those sort of things, and I know they're speaking from remembering when there weren't that many black people on TV. And so the black folks who get to be on TV are, and they're like, you're making us look good. Because I remember when it was, you know, my mom talks about, um, you know, when it was just Lena Horne, right? Uh, and uh, what was the name of the nurse she did in the 60s? Well, I, I I probably wasn't watching TV back then, but um, oh, excuse me, Diane Carroll, not Nina, Diane oh, Carroll, Julia, Julia, was, and, I, I and they would call Julia. each other and say, "Oh, oh, oh, Diane Carroll's on." Watch, uh, I mean, like, oh my god, oh my god, you know. So, well, I but have, I had this thing, my father. Um, he used to do it, and you know, we just—I didn't get it. My sister is six years older than I am, and my brother's four years older. But my, we would be playing, you know outdoor or something, and he would shout, Khan, my mom's name was Constance, Khan, Khan, run and get the kids, get the kids, color girl on TV. Just a and black person like, on TV. All right, and we run into the room and stand there like you're like sweaty and you smell like outdoors, like scratching because you got chiggers. And my father, my mother would stand there, her eyes would fill up and she'd have this little smile on her face. And my father would always say, that's a fine heifer. Look at that. Because his family ran cattle. So a fine heifer was just like the best, you know, a female creature could be. That's a fine heifer. But run, get the kids, color girl on TV. It was like, they are so, you know, what do we used to say? Not back in the day. They would be like, you know, they're like, you know, they're out of it, out of touch. But, but but you must be able to to recognize how you, as a small child, seeing that would at some point lead you to say, oh, I could do that. No. No. It's interesting. The people that I looked to that made, that I thought, oh, I could, there's, there's a footprint. I'm just going to keep stepping that direction where people like Barbara Jordan. There were people wow. like, um, I remember finding out about Fannie Lou Hamer by the time I was 14. They wow. were, and they were men as well. I didn't Shirley even Chisholm. No, Shirley Chisholm. This is interesting. My people are like, Texas and Oklahoma. And so okay. there's a regionalism also that that you kind of grow up okay. in. When you hear someone that sounds like you or looks like the folks you might be related to, there's a thing. The East Coast was as foreign to me as, you know, flying to uh, Sri Lanka. Okay. And, but I clocked it, but... Very early on, I, maybe because I 
there weren't people the way that our young people see so many of us in so many different professions and disciplines. I got it. I got inspiration from from people of all colors, genders. I, it, you know, you snatch inspiration from wherever you feel truth and authenticity coming from. Who were your earliest acting heroes? Oh, and I saw her in something the other night. Um, Vanessa Redgrave. Wow. Mary Alice. Geraldine Page. Wow. Those those women, if I could kind of roll them into one. And what I'm saying early is, okay, those, once I was conscious of the fact that I was a storyteller, which didn't happen until I was 16, uh, I was never interested in that. I was an athlete and a, you What'd know, you do? What was your sport? A cheerleader. You, well, you know, I grew up in Tulsa, so you did everything. Okay. Uh, you know, we even had at one point, you know, you played basketball, softball, track. But at one point we had a, uh, for about two months, we had a, a girls football league. Wow. But, but it was a flag, but everybody kept getting injured too much. So they stopped it <laughs> because... We were unaccustomed to just like going for going for the ball and you don't know how to protect yourself or stop and so you know, there are no pads and we were just like creaming ourselves. But um <laughs> so um I was talking about um about acting. I know the generation above me. Uh, I think the people in my generation, I won't even start naming them, but you all, you know them, Sigourney and Merrill and, and uh, help me out here. All, all of that group that I'm, I'm saying yeah. people that other people would recognize. Yeah. Uh, Loretta, Divine, um, CCH Pounder, all, all, all of, and, and all of my friends, <laughs> let's just put it that way. And the brothers too. We were that first generation that went into training, like into conservatory or training programs for for acting and directing and and uh, design. I'm thinking of Wynn Thomas right now, everybody. And but before that, the generation before us, they all went into the neighborhood playhouse after studio, but everybody was, everybody was training. They all went to New York and other places to train. And so when I saw uh, Faye Dunaway and Pacino and De Niro and that, that whole lot, when we saw them on screen, they were always playing young people, but you knew that they were in their thirties. Um, but, but it was always, people always talked about, going to class and training. So even if you had a big contract and you were pulling it in and your your star was fixed, you still went to class every week when you weren't at work. Um, and I'm saying all that to say now, I think somewhere around um, Gary Coleman and uh, that that's when you saw kids on TV and that's when yeah. you saw whatever age somebody was supposed to be they went and got that aged person and started to play them. But it, back in the day, um, people, um, people that were, people trained themselves and then 
the people that you saw in those positions and jobs, they were they were older than they were. And I don't know how I got off of that. Subject. So wait, so wait, so you're. Oh, well, the you, people that I look to. So yes. like, I would love they shoot horses, don't they? I would watch that over and over again. So, so I, it was always about the craft for me, as opposed to whether I was allowed to do it, whether I saw myself doing it. If I saw another person doing it, I assumed I could do it too. Wow. Uh, because my, my daddy told me that I could do anything I wanted to, you know, from the time that I could could talk. So, and I believe that. So, so your intensity, which, you know, it, 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 I can feel it bubbling up from within you. It's coming out of your eyes, right? As you said, like the upper lip is quivering and I'm like, I can feel the power of the character. Talk to me about, about that moment, about summoning that, about like just pushing that out through your spirit. One of the things that you do when you're training is you are getting, you're letting go of your, uh, of your habits, the, the way you move, the way you speak, even your point of view, the way, uh, so that you try to get yourself in training to a neutral point. You're taking away all. So really to get ready to act, it's get, it's, it's letting go of all those things that are you. And then you can make conscious decisions about what you add on to flesh out a character. So you make those decisions, we call it doing homework. You should know who your character was. Even if we see her just standing in an elevator and the main protagonist walks by, if you just stand in an elevator, that's your job to create a history for that person that's standing there. And you do it yourself. I mean, you look at your script and then you, it basically puts you somewhere, uh, a region, a state, and even if you're in a state, what part of that state? And then you're going to study that person's dialect, the way people speak and the way they hear each other. But then you got to find their own cadence. Because when you think about it, all of the billions, ones of us that have ever been born have different fingerprints. So we, what makes us different? You know, what makes me different from millions of other women, my height, my age, my skin tone, you know, that I, my preference for music, the fact that I like, you know, popcorn, whatever it is, still what makes me different from that? Because when you, all of us just want to be understood. I mean, that's what every human wants. And we spend all of our time trying to communicate in a way that people get closer to understanding who we are. So when a character comes along, they, even if they are not historical, they are, they are somehow an amalgamation of what that writer has seen or experienced. So it's a human being still. So to have a story come forward where you actually get to speak, a human being gets to speak, uh, is rare, rare, rare. So it is a it is a, a kind of a sacred bond for the actor to be able to find the voice of that person as as uh, fully as they can, and so that's why what we do is a practice because and that's what makes it great. You're never finished, and you're just constantly, you know, playing that that Chopin until you can bend the notes. Each time it's going to be different, and so 
That's my responsibility is to not have Alfrey showing. So what you're doing is you're just getting yourself to a place of, and it's not hocus pocus, it's not in your head, it's, it is an actual doing. Acting is listening the way we do in life. You listen and then you respond to what you just heard. Well, you've got your, you've got the, the words that the, the writer has you say, but that's just plot. But life never happens on the words and on the lines. It happens in our response to it. So that's when I love when a, a filmmaker understands that and will keep a camera on a person who is not speaking because the real life is happening in between the lines. And so all you're doing is making yourself available to not only to the character, but to what's being said. And I think as, as storytellers, as musicians, as painters, I think we are the ones that surrender to the creative principle. We're all creative, just like we all, we all breathe. And, but some people surrender. I don't surrender to math. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Amen. But you, but, but, but zone in for me because that was amazing. Right. And that master class for me, so much of the beauty of watching you is in the eyes and you communicate so much with your eyes. Um, Talk to me about that part of your craft. If you're on stage and you say, you know, your character says, you know, for with effect, you know, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Well, the person in the back row has to receive that just as fully, like it's individually just to them as the person in the third row. And on camera, what we're doing is, this is why I like Jerry Page so much. She entered the frame at full force. Some people do like really safe acting on camera. They won't look around a lot and they talk like this. If they're eating, they eat, take little tiny bites because they're on camera. But <laughs> the thing is, there's a whole frame. So instead of that proscenium or that big circle in the round you have, the frame is, is, is your stage. She would enter that frame full on. She would do what she was doing and she would exit that frame. So that I always like that. So it basically you're telling that same story, giving that same impulse, but with a certain conf- uh, confines. Uh, so that becomes, especially if you're in ECU, this is a cowboy, kind of above the belly button up, ECU, extreme close up, and I don't believe you becomes this. Is that, is that my camera right there where I'm looking? Mm-hmm. It becomes this. I, you don't even need the words. Say something. Say something to me. Anything. Who do you think you are? That's I don't believe you. So you, you take in what's said and you let your response you, you don't stop because most of us stop the response. We try to go blank so they don't know what we're feeling. That The same thing that you're describing to me now makes me kind of giggle because <laughs> the, 
I can remember my mother saying, oh, I heard you. So I didn't say anything. She says, mm, I, no, I heard you. I, I saw those eyes. So you got smacked a lot. <laughs> so, so I'm glad I guess to pay off eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it paid off eventually. So, so a big part of what you're describing is finding the character. And they hand you a script and part of the character is on the page. But then it's your job to add to that and to find stuff and to create stuff that fits with the page, but then deepens it. Right. And, and then, and then you have to work with the, the, and then you have to work with the, 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 the props people or the, or the, the costume people to further define the character. Right. Right. That what's on the page is, is, are a lot of clues mm. that the writer's given you. And I love it when the, you know, a good script when you're turning that page and it, you know, within like, Two times of your character speaking, you get emotional every time that character, that's an investment. It's connected organically. I don't go to work unless that happens to me. It could be something else. But if you're just reading it like you're reading the Times, then it's like, okay, that that was a good story. And then somebody else can do it. But I go to work when I feel like I'm thinking of something that I don't think anybody else is going to think of to get closer to that. So. What you're doing, we call it fleshing out a character so that it's not a character anymore. It's a human being. Mm. And it's not just three-dimensional. You're not done till you can smell the person that you're playing. You know what they, you can feel, you give off their scent when you're doing it. And so different things get you closer to that. You know, some people hide in props. It's like, okay, give me some glasses. Give me this. Give me that. Give me that. But that that's kind of more for the, the production designer or your director. You know, again, the actor should be able to come naked to that process and still be that character because that's how those people are when they are private. But, um yeah, I mean that's why it's exciting and you're never finished and it's so lovely. That's why we you know, you you take all the bullshit in the world just to get to that point between action and cut because there's total freedom there and expression. This segment is sponsored by Dell Technologies Small Business Virtual Podference starting May 10th. Whether you're still working remotely or back together again, let Dell Technologies help safeguard your business with modern devices and Windows 11 Pro. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. 
one of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. So you're one of the stars of BET's new show, The Porter. And you play, can we call her a prostitute, Faye? Is it- uh, she is a, I would call her, you know, in 1921 parlance, I'd call her a, a whore. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. She's not, she, she's not a streetwalker. She has a, there's a whore no, house that you go to, to find her. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She, yeah. She, she, she keeps a, a wonderful house that, that people want to visit and people come there uh, to, to escape and to be uh, included and to be, they come there for entertainment. They come there for community. That's the Did- house that they has built. Did they come, did the, did the producers come to you and say, we want you to play uh, this whore? Or did you read this and go, ooh, she's interesting? Why did you, you just made me laugh. Um, Because my producers are so wonderful. They're so smart and just, that's why I came into it. I actually came in as an executive producer, but with no plan to be in it. Oh, Um, And Arnold Pinnock, I shouldn't start naming because they're all just so amazing. But Arnold, I met through a friend, Nesta Cooper, and uh, she kept saying, you know, my friend Arnold, they're doing this story about the porters. And I have, you know, heard of people trying to do porter stories for years and and still trying to get more of those stories out. I didn't realize, because I forgot about it, actually, that Robert Townsend had done one um, back some years ago. But I remember Sydney, you know, 
40 years ago talking about, you know, Pullman porters trying to get people to listen to, you know, to, to pick that up. But anyway, so I I said, well, I'm not a writer. Why would I go in their writer's room? And she said, they just like you just, they just want you to come. So I finally said, yes. When I got in touch with Arnold, he's, he's a brother that's an actor, but he is one of the most sort of profound historians, storytellers, producers, and he nurtured this project, I think eight years before we got going. And when I got there, there was um, the showrunners, brilliant sisters again, just, I was just so excited. I love it when I see people who are gifted uh, and when they're young and they're black and gifted, I just go, that's, that's the life. You're not going to get any richer no matter what you do than to be a person of color and gifted and you're free in that. And that's enough. It doesn't matter who's looking or who accepts it or not. Um, so anyway, Anne, Anne-Marie Murray, um, Marsha Green, our showrunners, just, you know, remarkable writers, um, Charles Officer and R.T. Thorne, the only two directors. They were so, I was so impressed with them. I realized when I got there, because I was thinking, why am I going in here? But I realized when I got there, you know how we do land blessings now? Land recognition? No, no tell you, me. When you are in a space, just at the start of it, the way you would do uh, an invocation, thing, you just recognize who, who was on this land before it was it was taken? And you recognize the First Nations, whatever the nation was on that land, right? This, for them, I think, was more like a, a people recognition. You know, they, all of them had the story and they, they were um, experienced, they were celebrated, but they all said they had never been more than the only Black person on their set are just one of two. And I was like, how is that possible? You know, I know it's rare, but again, when you think of Canada, I guess we think it is thought of as post-racial because they did not have a lot of the same uh, reactions to history that we had, a lot of the circumstances. But as you see in the Porter, you know, everything is everything, wherever the diaspora is. It is the same story uh, that is being played out. So um, I realized when I was there that I was just supposed to say, I see you. Like we just talked about when I said I was proud of you. I see you. You're here in this moment. There's, there's nothing I could say professionally to them that they needed to hear other than you, you, this is your spot. This is your, enjoy this moment that you're in. Um, claim this moment you are the you're bringing a gift to to not just north america and the states you're bringing it to the world and you are honoring the ancestors and everybody else that ever put looked at you with an eye that said you're special or you're capable anyway so we started talking that way and i uh th- i became really more of a consultant but it became official the consulting because I'm nosy and, and things about casting and saying, wait, did you, did you hear this? Did, have you met this person? Have you met that person? Um, so it was, it was much later in the process, you know, some months down the line where they said, 
you know, we know you have another series because I was on another series, but, and you're busy, but if, you know, there's a small role in, you know, if you would consider it, you know, that'd be so great. We'll make it, we'll condense it down where you could shoot it over like four weeks, the, the whole season. I said, okay, you know, I love you, but I'll read it. But if it's not good, I can't be in it. I said, and I will still support you and I will still, you know, be what you need me to be, but I can't be in it if it's not good. And I read it. Well, the one they wanted me to read was, uh, I'm not even sure if it's still there. It was an associate of A. Philip Randolph. She was an upstanding union woman. And I said, you know, that's, why are you going to get dressed up for that? I said, that's somebody else's role. I said, the only reason to get dressed up is to go somewhere. And I said, if you let me play Faye, then I'll do it. And they said, Faye? And I said, oh yeah, because I felt Faye. I knew Faye. I knew that Faye is misunderstood. The way that people, when they start to portray uh, uh, people's circumstance, they just play that. No, you know, they play, they play the, the junkie. They play the, the, the misfit. A misfit doesn't know they're a misfit. They're just being themselves. And so what you do is you find the character, you find the human being. And then if she has a substance abuse problem, it comes on somewhere else, but that is not her. And if you're just going to play that, you know, then that's, you know, why are you doing that? But so I knew there were things about faith that I wanted to, about the whole circumstance, that there is no house of ill repute. There is no, you know, there's no shame. And especially in 1921, women having no agency at all, all those women got to be together in that house, those girls, there was protection there. There was family and community there. And they didn't have to answer to anybody. People came and they they did pay, but you call the shots. You was, but it's, crit- you, it's critical you, to you. You keep saying, if I can find something to, to put into or bring out of the character that I think nobody else would do, then that's what I want to do. Well, that's worth exploring, you know? And, th- and the truth is, we are that complex. But we don't even look at each other on the streets or in our offices that way. We want to judge people by whatever's the first flash we get, and we never change that. But there are, there are no bad girls. There are no bad men. They do bad things, they, they, you know, and everybody does. Some of us <laughs> do things that get us, you know, we have to pay a long price in years for, but human beings, anything one human being is capable of, another is. And so we have to, we respect people. We respect the fact that they are a human being. And then we work on, you know, we work on their deeds and how that's paid. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, 
Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low-sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it, and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. But uh, all of that to say, I I thought Faye's whole approach, we have a backstory on Faye and that we came to Marsh and I and Anne-Marie. And it, it's a very, very tragic backstory, but I didn't want to play that tragedy. Mm. I wanted to play the freedom having been released from that, from the horribleness. The, the entrance of a character is always so important and tells us or should tell us so much about who she or he is. And Faye's first word is shit. <laughs> and she puts I, all, I, I, yes, S-H-I-I-I-T. yes. And she puts all this stink on it. As, as you're saying, S-H-I-I-I-I-T. Um, talk to me about getting that, that first entrance. And we hear her just before we see her. Um, so talk to me about getting that because because the way the character enters is so much. Okay. Our ladies, our Black Cross nurses, Marlene, who uh, Muna Traore plays, she, she's in there. And God, I can't think of my, my sister who plays Gwen. They've come in being punished by their local uh, um, Marcus Garvey sort of lieutenant that is, is, is sort of in charge of the whole area. We're in Montreal, 1921, Saint Antoine, and they're being punished for being too, frankly, too enterprising, too, too willing to help people in the community as opposed to just getting money from them to send to the Back to Africa movement. And so they're being punished. And they said, go down that street and ask people. Well, they come into, uh, into our brothel. And I'm going to tell you about the brothel in a minute. Remind me to tell you about the exterior. But they they come in there, they're like beautiful brown women Regal. in there. So they're creased and pressed and they're, you know, everybody's laughing and being together and having fun in the parlor of the brothel. 
And they're just, they could not get further out of their element if, you know, if they were like zapped into another dimension. They're so like, oh, we're like, we're so above this and like, oh. But one of of the things about my backstory is that, that, that we created is that I was a preacher's daughter and I was a, a good girl. I did all those things. And I'll tell you if you want to later about what happened. But a, a horrific thing took me away from that life. But I never gave up on the idea that that of the gospel of love, and that you know, and that unconditional love, uh, you know, the absence of judgment. So, but I recognized them when they came in, especially uh, Marlene. And so she toys with her. It's like, oh, you know, what is she? What are you doing in here? I would know that those women, I knew who they were in the churches and things, and I knew what the attitude would be. So that's why she, she's who she is, and she's playful and joyful, but she really plays with her then, plays with them, with that welcome. Yeah. Okay, wait. Tell me quickly, what happened to Faye? And you want to talk about the exterior of the brothel? I don't know if it's, uh, I'll tell you this. This is what Anne-Marie and uh, uh, Marsha had that they thought. And a good backstory for everybody is that nobody's hydroponic. And you can tell when people act like they are, just come in, just saying stuff and just acting like themselves, acting up a storm. But it is the thing that we explore that brought us to the moment we see when a story starts where each character has come, their backstory. And it was that she was in one of those communities just over the border. There's small black towns uh, in Ontario over the border where people either ran away, you know, during enslavement or they've come up for opportunity because Canada needed a lot of people and workers. So if she was in this church, you know, got hooked up or put together with a young man who was, it looked like, you know, uh, a promising prospect. And he was not a good guy. And, but she had the children, did all of that. Daddy's not only a daddy's girl, but daddy was the pastor. He, you know, sort of arranged this. And then when it became abusive, he wouldn't protect her. She started to hear things about God and women's place and all of that. And he let all of that abuse go on. And then to punish her, the man, the husband, uh, burned down their house and the children were in it, her, her two kids. And and that's when you got, that's when you say, goodbye, church, goodbye, everybody, goodbye. I, I need a change. But what, what she never lost so she takes off. She goes to Marjorie. What she never lost, what she really understood, and what was really the truth was that the good news, the gospel, was about love. And so that's, anyway, that's a thing. So now what's the, for me, that's what I decided. So it was like, what? why did God create me? What did she want me to do? She wanted me to to feel love. She wanted me to give love. She wanted me to, you know, to create joy and community. And so that's, that's the direction I decided to go Mm. in 
and not only in finding Faye, but in keeping the brothel. And so I was going to tell you, so the house, when we first came to it, we saw the house on a location shop, uh, Scott, it looked like a trap house. It was like, you know, <laughs> the us falling down. It was, you know, it wasn't painted and it was just, but I said, oh, no, no, no. Our house is a fine house. I, I want flowers. I want an arbor. I want, let's paint that, put this outside. This is where people come, come to get away from their lives. This is where people come to get uh, understood. They come for that thing. And so it changed the sort of atmosphere that people usually have of whorehouses or brothels. So wait, okay. Just about the project as as a whole. The porter is a very important part of our history. And almost all of us have a grandfather or a great grandfather who was a porter, right? It, it was an important. If they were industrious enough. That's it. It was, they were, they were special. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important to do something commemorating the, the history and the importance of that. At the same time, you are giving me a piece, you guys as a whole are giving me a piece where, yes, they are fighting for their dignity and they are demanding their respect in this world. And yet I'm, I'm, I'm constantly getting scenes where we have black people who are sort of like, you know, serving white people and have to be subservient to white people because that's what it was in the 20s. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in 2022, I forget what year it is. I'm like, I I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see us serving white people. I'm like, I've seen that. I don't want to see that anymore. So why do you think it's important to give us this piece, this this show, where that is so much part of uh, the whole story? Because... If, if people don't understand it, it's good for them to experience it, that there is power in service. Mm. You know, you actually hold the power when you are feeding people, when you are giving them libations, because you know the whole landscape. You can play the whole board or the field, however you want to put it. You know, if you want to live in Wakanda, go ahead, do it. But a, I, Wakanda I do, does not do. exist, you know, <laughs> and people that say, I don't want to know that. It's like, do you want to know your last name? Do you want to know your, your your mama, your daddy? Do you want to know what real power is? Do you want to know why we're still here and we are so vibrant and we cannot, we have never surrendered and we have built so much and the whole world imitates us, not in mockery and minstrelly, but they want to be us. Yeah, It's because of who we are. It's because anyway, so I would say, (laughs) frankly, about our show, The Porter, I would say, you watch these brothers deal like they are a brotherhood even before they're trying to officially, uh, they do become the brotherhood of of, uh, porters the first black labor union and they are, you see individuals, a junior who Amel plays, Amel Amin, uh, Ronnie Rowe um, and, and uh, 
Muna and Lauren Lott. I shouldn't start naming because I can't name everybody, but first of all, they find those people and they're all very different and they're very complex. So you follow all these stories of black people. When we say we're not monolithic, this, this is a portrayal, you know, of when young people say, but we're not a monolith. Well, watch this show because this is what, this is what we're giving you. But you know, I don't understand. <laughs> I, 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 I don't understand. And I try to have the, the tolerance, the patience to try to find words to people that don't want to know history because history is like what happened last weekend. It, <laughs> that's already history. And so whatever it is, however many years back, it was people just like you doing it, figuring out a way to be figuring out how to still have love, make love, have joy, still make a dollar. And if their means aren't there like junior, okay, well, you know what? This is how the white boy's making money. Let me run some numbers too. That's how Queenie Olienke, I'm saying her name wrong probably too, but beautiful sister. We get, you know, they run the line from Montreal down to Chicago. They're porters on that. And, you know, when you watch it, okay, I'll go over there in a minute, but you get there and we know Chicago in 1921 was the wild kingdom in terms of organized and, and disorganized crime. And there at the top is a sister amongst the other men, the other ethnicities running that show, being a boss lady. So everybody's in this. There's, there's like, um, Storylines of colorisms that, of course, will be played out forever. Uh, but, you know, it's like, how much more contemporary can any of that get? Uh, but, you know, the girls that are dancing and it's just there's so much there. And what the reason I came on is because as first an, a producer and then as a uh, uh, I'm more of a cheerleader, I, I'm not like a nuts and bolts producer. I am a opinionated cheerleader, but is that it is one of the finest productions that I've ever been in. Mm. And mind you, Faye is a tangential character. She's pivotal, but she's tangential. These, these people, these young ones bring these people to life beautifully. You've never, you have never felt more proud watching this. Okay. And Charles officer and R.T. Thorne have made it, it's like a fine art. It's fine, like a painting in motion. Instead of a moving picture, it's like a moving painting. It's beautiful. Um, what is your superpower? What is the thing that you do better than other folks that has led to the success that you've had? Those are two different things. I, I, I think... My superpower is not super. I think it's a decision. And uh, I try to I try to live in forgiveness. It's it's a you know, I try to I try to live in forgiveness because I find my freedom in forgiveness. Uh, I I think that the <laughs> I think the thing that I can do that, you know, a lot of people do it, but it's not common is um I I find humor in a lot of play. I find humor. I, not I find it. 
Can I say S-H-I-T on your thing? Absolutely. We already did. It makes me laugh. You know, it makes me laugh. And you know what? That's how sometimes, and I get it from, really from my mother's people. My father's people were much more upstanding and they they were decorous and there, were, there was appropriateness. But my mother's people, they were, you know, African and, and indigenous people and they were sharecroppers and, you know, they had jute joints and stuff. And just my my big mama Ada just cackling all the time. But even at, you know how black folks are, even at her funeral, just sitting there and, you know, my sister dyed her hair because we were so, we were mourning and didn't know what to do. She had, come up to Walgreens with me. Let's dye my hair red. I was like, okay. And we did it. And her, she had long hair and it was straight and she had made this thing. And we were sitting there, but it was a mist of rain that day. And big mama Ada, you never thought she would ever go on. But as, as we sat by the grave, her hair just like in fast motion, just rose up like three times the size. And, you know, my, my mother and aunt were weeping and they turned to her to say, cause she was the favorite of, you know, dozens of grandchildren. And they just went, ah! and they saw her hair and everybody had to stop. And we spent the whole time. Other mourners didn't know what's happening. The minister was like, you know, staring at us, but her entire Girls and boys and their children were just sitting, giggling during as 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 she went went down and under. But you know, there's that's why we're still here. That's what frustrates people about us: our inappropriate humor sometimes. Thank you so much to Alfre Woodard for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Ford. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. <laughs>